Welcome to the Logbook. My name's Lucas Weekly. Today, we're listening to Tracy Farley as she explains how she went from just trying to get over her fear of flying and heights by taking a few piloting lessons to now sitting in the right seat of a 737 flying for Southwest. starting to make a little money, expendable money. And I didn't really have anything next on my bucket list after I had exhausted what I went to school for and tried that. So I was figuring out what else would I want to do. And nothing sprang into my mind other than, well, I could get over my fear of flying, which would probably incorporate getting over my fear of heights as well. And I tossed around the idea, tossed around the idea. My uncle, who knew what I wanted to do, introduced me to a gentleman in Carson City, Nevada that had his own airplane. And he said he would teach me how to fly. And when you first set out to learn, most people figure you got to go with a flight instructor. When I was learning with my first situation, I thought he was a flight instructor, which I found out quickly he wasn't. But that kind of started the ball rolling, but it was a really slow ball, (laughs) an uphill ball, if you will. So we would go fly. And anytime I hit a bump or any sort of ripple in the air, I would want to go back down. And Reno was very interesting weather-wise. And I saw a program on TV. It's like one of the top five hardest places to land and take off in when there's weather. And I would concur with that. And Carson City is the same way. I knew that my students, if they ever did travel out of the area, they would be so much more capable because of their time in Reno. And I feel that way going through my career. When I've gone back into mountainous terrain and areas for my job, I'm so thankful that I learned there, as opposed to learning someplace where you didn't have high density altitude, high winds. It just really teaches you a lot more than you normally would. And I learned to fly in an experimental aircraft. It's called the Thorpe T-18. And from what I've been told, it's a predecessor to the RV craze. They were home-built mostly in the 60s and early 70s. And it's a heck of a little airplane. It's a two-seat side-by-side metal plane. And there's still some out there today. Probably is not the best primary trainer compared to like, you know, your typical 152, 172. It's a little bit more complex, but it was something I didn't know any better about. So I learned to fly in that and I flew in it for about 10 years. And then I had my own experimental that I bought in the process of that and fixed up with my first husband. He did most of the work. I can't take all the credit, but it was a good experience all the way around learning to fly in the Thorpe. It looks like a mini Corsair to me. It's a low wing and it has a dihedral halfway out on the wing. So like the gull wing on the Corsair, it has that as well. It was about half the weight of a typical 172 and it had a constant speed prop and with it being only about a thousand pounds with 180 horsepower and a constant speed prop and a tail dragger, there was a lot to it. But again, it was, I had a lot of time to learn and I didn't know better. And once I got into 172, it was like, wow, this is pretty easy comparatively, but I wouldn't take it back. I wouldn't change it. So by the time I got my private pilot's license, start to finish, it was five years. 
And people can typically do it if they put their mind to it in about a month to two months, if they push. And I was still pushing, but it still took that long. It was just one of those things, the time came together, the money came together, and I was like, what else am I going to do? And I just fell in love with it. The more I did it, the more I loved it. I got into flight instructing after I got my private instrument commercial, and I figured I might want to consider going professional. So I was contemplating the CFI just because I thought I could get a job with my commercial, which back then you couldn't. Things have changed a little bit now, and I know I've changed a lot now, but... um, you still need 1,500 hours these days in an ATP unless you go through one of these courses. But the CFI I knew would build my time, and I needed to build the time. And I knew each step was going to take a certain amount of time, and it helped build my confidence. So it just seemed like a no-brainer ultimately just to do that. And it kept me home and comfortable in Reno for a lot longer than leaving and going to get a job somewhere else. But one of the Fun things, being a flight instructor, I was chief flight instructor in Reno, and I started planning for our students, like longer cross-country trips, where the students could do, like I did, where somebody would sit up in the front with me learning on the way out, and then we'd swap seats on the way back. And we did one where we went over to Monterey, and then we went to the aquarium while we were there, and then we flew back. And we did another one down to Vegas. So... Those were some fun times and and really growing times to be able to put that together because we had several planes that went, several instructors. Now, it seems simple now to think back and plan something like that. But with my limited experience, I was like, hmm, way to go. And we had so much fun. And the students had so much fun. I I miss, in a lot of ways, I still miss the teaching side of it and watching the progression. But I don't miss the stress of teaching people how to land an airplane. At all. I have way too many gray hairs from that. I Even when you see it going on at different airports when you fly to, it's like, oh, 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 okay, he made it. <laughs> it yeah. So at what point did you decide to go all the way in aviation and become a commercial pilot? I don't recall the exact day or moment or anything like that. It, it just has been such a slow, constant burn for me that... It was kind of a no nonsense aha moment. It's like, this is what I want to do. And if I'm going to do it, I just keep pushing ahead. So it was probably somewhere during my commercial certificate or maybe right after that where I'm like, what's next? You know, I, I need to keep flying. I would have to guess that was probably about when it was. But I joked with one of my girlfriends through the 99s. It's a women's organization of female pilots. And she... Moved to Reno and started hanging out with our group, the Reno High Sierra 99s. Back in 99, 2000, she just finished her private. So we started training together, instrument, commercial. And she's like, let's, you know, let's go to the front of cockpit at Southwest. She was a flight attendant for them. I'm like, sure. So we joked about it in about 2000. And I didn't think in, you know, 16 years later, it would take that long. And I definitely thought that we'd do it together. But I'm in the cockpit, in the front for Southwest 16 years later. And there's been a lot of changes that I've had to think about and do along the way because the course changes, aviation changes, there's ebbs and flows and it's true probably with any career, but definitely aviation. It's, it's been a wild ride and it's not like I didn't get distracted as well. You know, for a little bit of while I lost my mind. I thought I was going to go to Delta and it didn't work out. And it's, 
it hasn't been perfect either because I've had tons and tons of places I've interviewed and didn't get jobs. But those interviews that I didn't get helped me prepare for the one I did get that I was supposed to get that I wanted. The, the scholarships that I didn't get that I lost out to my training partner, I lost out to her. And I was just like, what am I doing wrong? But it helped me to get better at answering those questions later. It was going to happen one way or the other. There wasn't anything that was going to stop me from achieving my goal. And I've had, like I said, as many failures as I've had, just little ones, you know, not getting the scholarship, having to work twice as long to pay for it myself. Eh, it's part of the process. Made me a little tougher. And another part of the process Tracy found out was being persistent and letting other people know what she wanted. I have gone to numerous job fairs. It's actually a women aviation conference, but it's turned more or less into a job fair in a lot of sense. And I met a lot of the Southwest people every single March because it's in March. Introduce myself, introduce myself. And I introduced myself when I didn't even have the requirements to work there because I knew. I knew I wanted to be there. So going back, I have pictures of me with our little mascot. It's called TJ Love. It's a little airplane. I have pictures of me wearing this little plane around me that's decorated like Southwest. And um, it's just been that constant, hey, now I have the 737 type rating and I'd send them my stuff. I have the thousand pilot command hours that you need and I'd send them my stuff. So it just kept chipping it away, chipping it away. And it's like, I got everything that you require. They offered me an interview in 2013 and it was right when we first moved here to Spruce Creek. And I was dealing with the, my father's estate because he had passed away. So it wasn't a good time. And unfortunately, I passed up three years of seniority, which is not good in this industry, but we all do what we need to do at that time. So I just finally interviewed and obviously got the job a year, a year ago-ish. So compared to what I used to do for my prior company, it's, it seems so much easier because the bottom line is, is I fly the plane. And I fly every other leg. The captain flies one leg. I fly the next leg. And we get the plane ready, and we pass it on to the next person after three or four or five legs. What I had to do before was so much more inclusive for the day-to-day grind, if you will, because we organized catering and cleaned the plane and loaded the bags. And, you know, we're always double-checking that our flight plans are correct and so on and so forth. Now we have people that help do that. We have licensed dispatchers. We have customer service agents. You know, We're going into places where we have a support structure where we land, which is nice. And we have 101 cities, so it's not like you can get bored very quickly of going to the same cities all the time. There's always something to do too when you get there if you're not too tired. But my typical day, I usually work three or four days in a row, have three or four days off. I'm on reserve, so I'm basically on call, and my phone goes on at 4.05 a.m. every morning that I'm working, and they can send me anywhere. So my suitcase is already packed, and I put usually an extra day's worth of clothes in there because sometimes they can extend you a day. And I'll go to the airport and fly three or four legs, stay the night somewhere up early again the next day, fly three or four legs. It can sound simple and boring when I put it like that, but it's not. It's, It's fun interacting not only with your flight attendants, but your co- co-pilot as well. And uh, all the other people, our passengers, the people we work with, it's, it's what you make it. And I'm excited. I'm excited. I love my job. 
I love this company and it fits. And I think it's important in this industry to figure out where you're going to fit and you'll know what your parameters are. I just knew I wanted to fly and have fun and they definitely do that. There's been so many monumental things that I've had the opportunity to do and be a part of and, and not just up in an airplane, but you know, teaching and I still volunteer, uh, with the Adopt-A-Pilot program through Southwest. You go to the school four different times and you teach the kids about who you are and how you got into aviation. A little bit about kind of the job, a little bit about science of the flying part of it, and a little bit about math too, because in geography. So we talk about time zones, we talk about all the miles that I fly, um, geography because obviously we go a lot of places. so. Next Wednesday, I'm going to be like, okay, so what's the capital of that state that I went to? What's the capital of that state that I went to? And uh, I'll bribe them with prizes and peanuts. Southwest has been very good about providing a bunch of stuff like that for the kids. Trying to help the next generation come into aviation, even though it's not as glamorous as it used to be, I still think it's pretty amazing. I mean, we take a plane and we fly how many places with people in there? And they're going for usually for good reasons you know they're going to go visit somebody or go on a vacation and see something so it's kind of neat that we can provide that and have fun doing it there's nothing else i would want to do tracy farley is a first officer for southwest airlines and she's also still flying general aviation airplanes today Tracy's husband is an aircraft broker specializing in diamond aircraft, and they own a twin diamond as a demonstrator and as a general fun flying plane. You can check out pictures of Tracy with her TJ Love mascot costume, pages from her logbook, and more information related to these stories by going to the article at thelogbookpodcast.com. As always, this episode was supported through Patreon. So if you don't know what Patreon is, it's a platform that allows people to support creators as they do their work. So all of the expenses for the logbook are actually paid for by listeners of the logbook. And you know, I've realized that I've never actually recognized any of them on the podcast. So today we have a quite long list to read out. So here we go. Here are the patrons that have been with the show for a really long time and some new ones too. So I want to thank Kent Weekly, Lisa Midget, Ilya Hakenson, Maggie Weekly, Ron McCormick, Madhu Wonglowski, Frank Hardy, Adam Chahowry, Jimmy at the Plain Faith Podcast, Patrick Garcia, Tim Henry, Mitch Waldron, Stephen Jones, Grant McHaren, Kenyon Nowotny, and Jacob. So of course, thank you so much for supporting the podcast. All of you are actually what makes this show possible. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, even a dollar per episode is enough to help me pay for keeping the website up, keeping the podcast hosted on iTunes, all of these expenses that hosting a podcast brings. And you can check out more about Patreon by going to my Patreon page. You can go to the logbookpodcast.com and look for the orange Patreon button on the right-hand side. There, there's a video explaining how to sign up. It's really simple, and I really appreciate the support. If you don't want to support the logbook financially right now, then it would be huge if you could leave us a review in iTunes. This helps the Longbook podcast get higher up in the ratings, which means that more people see the show and more people listen, and more people get inspired to be into aviation. So it's really simple to do. You just have to download the app on either your phone or your computer, go and find the Longbook podcast in the iTunes store, and then leave a review that is hopefully five stars. 
only if I earned it. Anyway, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you come back for the next entry in the logbook.